welcome to the D&D Roundtable on the Tome Show Podcast Network. I'm your host, James Intricasso. If you're listening for the first time, welcome to the show. If you've been here before, do me a favor, go give us a great rating on iTunes. It helps us a bunch. Seriously, it only takes 30 seconds, and it is such a huge boon to us. It helps new people find the show. In fact, I read one new five-star review verbatim each episode and credit the person who left it. Make me say anything you want, but keep it clean, people. This is a family D&D news podcast. Today's review comes from Zell Spell, and this review is entitled Great News. It is short and sweet. It simply says, Grounded and Poignant, one of the best podcasts for fantasy news. Thank you so much, Zell Spell. Uh, and uh, we, I mean, the news itself isn't fantasy. You know, it's its all real. But it is about fantasy stuff. Uh, so thank you so much. Uh, we need more reviews. Please head on over to iTunes or whatever podcatcher app you use. Give us a rating, a thumbs up, a like, whatever they do uh, to help other people find the show. Please use the affiliate links at thetomeshow.com whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. Just go to thetomeshow.com and click on the banner in the show notes for this episode or any other and then shop as you normally would. I'd also like to thank our sponsor for this podcast, noblenight.com. They're a brick and border game store that also exists online. They have D&D and other tabletop RPGs. Any edition, any product. With Noble Knight, you can even sell your old gaming products you aren't using anymore. My product pick from Noble Knight for this episode is Brimstone Angels number 5, Ashes of the Tyrant by Erin M. Evans. We interview Erin on this show because she is ending her amazing Brimstone Angels saga with her uh, upcoming release. Uh, so you want to catch up. Ashes of the Tyrant is a great one. Check it out. It retails for $22.95 in hardcover over at noblenight.com. There's a direct link in the show notes for this episode. And now I have a very special guest with me. It's DJ Istock, the beholder DJ who's spinning up all the records in Faroon. And he is here because he wants to talk to you about Noble Knight. I'm spinning my records. I get the best ideas for all my games by shopping at Noble Knight, where they will even buy your old products you aren't using. Out of print, they got it at a discounted price. Make sure you tell them the Tom Show sent you. All right, well, thank you very much, DJ Istock. Now, let's get to our panel discussion. Okay, everybody, today is a super-sized episode of The Roundtable. First, we've got an awesome panel discussion about the end of the Forgotten Realms novels. There was a question mark at the end of that, if you if you couldn't tell. Um, then we've got an interview with author Aaron M. Evans, and then... We're going to talk about a cool Kickstarter for the Imperium campaign setting that's being converted from Pathfinder to 5th edition. But let's start with our panel and kick things off with our get-to-know-you question. What is your favorite Dungeons & Dragons novel? With me at the roundtable today is the one and only David Gibson. David, welcome back. Thank you for having me. Any award-winning James (laughs) Intercosta. 
Uh, I share that, any with a, another panelist on this show, I should mention. Uh, the one and only Jeff Wynn, uh, since uh, he has written several articles for the blog as well. Thank you. Absolutely. So, Dave, what's your favorite D&D novel? It's really hard not to pick a Dragonlance novel, because Dragonlance really helped get me into Dungeons & Dragons as a whole. But I'm actually going to go with my first love of Ravenloft and pick Knight of the Black Rose. That's the novel that brought Strahd into Ravenloft, and this also crosses over with uh, Dragonlance. Good pick to pick something with Strahd. I have never actually read that one, uh, but I, I hear it is a fan favorite, and I've heard people talking about it a lot because of the recent release of Curse of Strahd. Um, so, uh, so maybe I should check that out. And it sounds like my reading list may be freed up soon. Uh, also here, uh, spoilers, we already gave it away, is Jeff Wynn. Jeff, welcome back to the roundtable. It's so good to have you. Hey, everyone. Uh, so, Jeff, what is your favorite D&D novel? Well, I'm sure everyone's expecting me to say uh, one of the Brimstone Angels novels by uh, the irreplaceable Aaron Evans. Uh, but after all these years, my favorite D&D novel is still Azure Bonds. Mm. Uh, it's, a, it's a tight story. It's a, it's a rollicking ad- adventure. Uh, there's, a, there, there's a cool god monster in it. Uh, and and all all the characters are just amazing and memorable. And the the sequel to it, um, the Wyvern Spur, was was also pretty good. But I, I have to give it to Azure Bonds. Nice, yeah. I was going to say I think that's a classic, uh, and a lot of people love that one. Um, so that is that's a really really good pick. Another one that I have not read myself. Uh, so I'm filling out my reading list here now. Uh, and finally, with us, new to the roundtable, but certainly not new to Tome listeners at all, is the one and only Eric Packett. Eric, welcome to the roundtable. Thank you. Glad to be here. Look nice around here. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, yeah. We got this big round table in here, which is always exactly. uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, so, what is your favorite D and D novel, Eric? Um, and you uh, are one of the hosts of the Tome Book Club, um, so you've read quite a few. From the ones in the book club that I read, I really liked Aaron Evans' books. Yes, but when I was thinking of the question, and I looked at my set of books and some of the ones that I started when I was a teen and all that and look at the ones I looked that are, are, are more well loved as books themselves and I would say Verdant Passage to book one of Prince Pentan by Troy Denning it's what introduced me to the D&D novels to my favorite setting Dark Sun and you actually feel like it is a D&D uh, world because you have the party of all the characters on a venture to go out. So I would say that for the indie novels, that would be my favorite. Nice. That's a, that's a good pick. And I think, uh, you know, any novel that can really nail that ensemble party feel, uh, usually feels like a really, really good D and D novel, even if it isn't like an official D and D novel. Um, so we are going to talk about the forgotten realms universe, uh, and what we know, and we're going to speculate on a few things we don't know. Uh, and we're going to start with, um, that it might be the end or at least the end for a little while of forgotten realms novels. Um, you know, forgotten realms novels have been around for a long time. And what we know is at the moment, uh, at the 
time of recording this podcast, right, um, we're waiting for Hero, uh, which is one of uh, uh, Robert Salvatore's novels, uh, the one and only R.A. Salvatore, a novel about a little dark elf named Driz Doerden, um, is going to be coming out. And uh, Aaron, M's, Aaron M. Evans' final book in the Brimstone Angels saga is also going to be coming out. It's called The Devil You Know. Um, and we know for certain that this is her final novel. She's confirmed that on her blog, uh, Slush Lush, uh, which we'll link in the show notes over at thetomeshow.com. So R.A. Salvatore's final novel we know is the last novel in what he's been calling the Homeland trilogy. And whenever he's been asked about it, uh, hey, is this your last novel? He says, it's the last novel in the Homeland trilogy. That's cryptic. It's it's neither a yes nor a no. And then Dragon Plus recently came out. Um, and Dragon Plus uh, said that in their next issue of Dragon Plus, and again, we'll link this over in the show notes, uh, that uh, they're going to have an in-depth chat with R.A. Salvatore on, making, on the making of an unlikely drow hero and the fiery conclusion of the Legend of Drizzt novels. So there's that as well. And then... Uh, there are reports uh, coming out of Ed Greenwood's new project, Onder Librum, in the Onder Magazine issue one uh, called Beginnings. Uh, he writes an article about what's going on in the Forgotten Realms, and he pretty much comes out and says uh, that the Realms novels are over. So <laughs> the first thing I want to talk about is, uh, it, it, do we think there is merit to this, that this is over. One reason Ed Greenwood gives in his write-up is that, uh, you know, they want to focus more on the movies and, you know, they, they kind of want to have this one uh, popular canon, if you will, for Forgotten Realms for people who maybe don't play the games or that kind of thing, and that that will hopefully be the movies if the movies are successful. So what do we think about this news? Do we think that there is credibility to it? Uh, and we will start with you, Dave Gibson. I think it's definitely credible. I mean, there isn't there hasn't been an, an official announcement from Wizards of the Coast, but when they ended the Dragonlance novels in 2010, there wasn't an announcement. When they ended Ravenloft, both in 99 and again in 2007, there wasn't an announcement. And when they ended the Eberron novels back in 2012, also no press release or announcement. They just stopped. They stopped being new novels. So it could easily be because they can always choose to restart them. But uh, Ravenloft originally ended in 99, I said, and then started back up in 2007 without, uh, just because they could. So who knows in 5, 10, 15 years, they could restart the Ravenloft novels without a hitch, especially if they do a, a movie tie-in. There's a lot of other little clues. I mean, they, they talked about how, um, and Emma Evans talked about how Ashes of the Tyrant, her second last novel, was going to be her last, and actually had a cliffhanger. They almost didn't get her back for a final book. And uh, looking through Amazon, Troy Dennings had two uh, Forgotten Realms novels, Dagger of Souls and Throne of the Dead, which were solicited, popped up on Amazon, but were never actually released. So Wizards of the Coast might have been kind of holding back or kind of limiting releases already. Yeah, that and, and all of that does seem to give these rumors a, a lot of credibility, right? And it's, it's kind of hard for me to wrap my mind around certain things, uh, and we'll get more to that later. But let's keep on the, the validity for now, and uh, we'll turn to Jeff Wynn. Jeff Wynn, what do you think? I think when we first started talking about this, you were like, there's no way this is true. Uh, has anything swayed you one way or the other? 
Uh, well, certainly uh, the the uh, litany of evidence that you've uh, presented uh, seems seems to be in in the favor of Forgotten Realms novels going away for the time being. Uh, that that was a very good R.A. Salvatore impression you you did. By the way, you sounded exactly like him. <laughs> that's, um, that's right. <laughs> uh, I know uh, Salvatore has said many times on this show that that he does not break up his novels into trilogies. He just views them as one long series and and. Wizards just does that that for him, uh, but then then the thing you said after that uh, the the fiery conclusion of the Legend of Drist series uh, definitely makes it sound like uh, it's it's coming to an to an end, which which is is a, is a shame to see it happening so soon after the Forgotten Realms novel line took a took a bold new direction with uh, the Sundering. We saw the re- the return of 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 the old um, companions after after all this time. And they're they're just they're just going away. So that 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 seems that seems strange. And of course, of course, I'm I'm sad to see the end of the Brimstone Angel series. I just thought that this series was going to go on forever and ever. And I was I was kind of hoping that it would because I was really enjoying it. And I am not a big fan of realms novels at all, really, uh, or or D and D novels in in general. In fact, I would I would say that um, overall D and D novels have been have been pretty bad. Uh, <laughs> In fact, I, I think they've pretty much been the the joke of the of the fantasy section in your favorite local bookstore for many many years. So maybe the novel line going away isn't isn't a bad thing. Sure, sure. And well, and I think in some respects, right? If the guys from D and D V and G were here, they would tell you the same thing about the D and D video game line with some notable exceptions, right? Like Aaron M. Evans being an exception and, and certain other things. Uh, you know, I think the popularity of Drizzt, right, can't be denied and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but yeah, yeah, I, I agree with your assessment that uh, a lot of fantasy readers think of the D&D novels kind of as uh, poorly written. Um, what about you, Eric? Uh, do you think that there are any validity to these rumors? As Aaron Evans said, that she was surprised that she got it, another novel and all that, which felt most. Uh, I was looking for more, more, but it, it, it the series did, did look like it was winding down, just based on the post. Uh, Salvatore, for decades, was writing till that small bleep, so not a big surprise that, okay, maybe we need to go see other characters if we return. And also, Ed Greenwood is getting busy with his own other lines himself. And those seem to be those three since when they had for uh, during the Sundering. I mean, Troy Denny's book doesn't seem to be coming out. In fact, I believe the art that would have been the cover for his book is in the um, Storm King's Thunder as a two placement. It looks like one of his characters is there. I have a slight hope that they introduce new authors that explore new characters, new unknown authors or, or old authors that are coming back, but that still remains to be seen. Dave Gibson. It's, I just wanted to point out uh, from Eric uh, Paquette's point that, yeah, it's uh, Toy Denning's character, Cleef Kenrick, who is a paladin of Helm. Yeah, he's featured pretty prominently on a two-page spread artwork in Storm King Center. And the character also even gets a mini in the current miniature line. So it's, you'd really think it'd be the time for a Troy Dannings novel with that character, but there isn't one. Yeah. Yeah. It does. It just seems, uh, it, it seems very strange. And the, the signs, you know, are, are, uh, 
are interesting. Um, what do you guys think this means, the end of the realms novels, if this is true, right? What do we think this means overall, kind of like the end of the realms novels? We know for a fact, right, it's the end of uh, the Brimstone Angel saga, uh, but the end of Drizdo Erden? Like, uh, does this just, uh, do, and the fact that it all seems to fade away kind of quietly, you know, we're, we're a month away from the release of the, the, what could be the final Drizzt book. What sort of impact do we think this is going to have? Uh, I mean, I guess maybe not very, because there don't even seem to be that many people really discussing this at the moment. Uh, why don't we start with you, uh, Jeff Wynn? Well, I, I, I would hope that it, it means they're going to take a, a, a long, hard uh, look at, at how they can actually make their, their IPs into, into uh, viable uh, brand names, you know, something something that's popular isn't necessarily always good. Drist is is very popular with with certain readers, but I happen to think, like a lot of people do, that R. A. Salvatore is not a very good writer, and I I don't think that Ed Greenwood is a very good uh, novelist. Uh, both have been on the Tome Show many many times, and I I enjoy listening to them to them talk. They they seem like great guys, but I, I have to say they're, they're just not very good uh, authors. And the Forgotten Realms in, in general, the question that I've been asking myself a lot since Adventure League started and, and even, even before is, is, is any of what Wizards is, is putting out, is, 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 is any of this making new younger players interested in exploring the, the, the Forgotten Realms? Is, is the Neverwinter MMO making people interested in learning more about the, the Forgotten Realms? And, and I have to say, I don't, I don't think it, it is. Um, they're, they're really not presenting the realms as anything other than a generic fantasy setting with forgettable characters. There's just nothing pulling people in. I, I remember when they did, what is it, Murder at Baldur's Gate, uh, and my store had these, these banners hanging from the ceiling with these really cool-looking characters on them, right? There, were, there was a guy who looked like the Riddler. He had, he had a green mask, and I, I wondered who, who they were, and there was just no way to find out about any of them, and they eventually just, just kind of went, went away. Um, and and, and that's, just, that's just one, one example when you look at, at some, some other similar properties, you know, like, like Warcraft, you can, you can look at a, a random drawing of, of an orc or a dude in armor, and you know if that's a Warcraft orc. Uh, they've, they've just got a certain look, a certain, a certain style to them. And uh, Wizards has not pursued that as aggressively as some other companies with, with, uh, who, are, who are interested in getting their IPs out there. So... I guess I hope that 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 the that the end of the Forgotten Realms novel line is is temporary, and I hope it means that they're that they're just rethinking their brand strategy. I mean, it does certainly seem like that. You know, I don't know. I I have no numbers in front of me, right, about how much money the books made or cost them or or anything like that. It could be uh, that the books, like many a print media uh, at the moment, are you know having trouble selling the novels. That is, um, you know, we know the the core rule books and stuff are are doing pretty well. Um, so yeah, it would be interesting. I have to feel like the I don't know the MMO must be. 
It, the MMO is super, super popular as far as an online MMO goes. Um, but I don't know. I don't know if people just, you know, love to get in there and, and uh, run around and kill monsters and take treasure. You know, I don't know how interested they are in the lore. I think that's a good point. Yeah, uh, that's, that's, that, that's my question. Yeah. Yeah, that is a that is a great great question. Um, so somebody must be collecting data on that somewhere. Uh, Eric, uh, what about you? Uh, what implications do you think this has if this is true uh, that the Forgotten Realms novels are disappearing? Well, there is always lots of novels that and lots of data that already exists for it. It all depends on where they're going i mean are they continuing on right now they're still continuing the coast is still continuing on with forgotten realms they did explore for a brief moment ravenloft does this mean possibly that they're going to possibly go to other worlds and thus get books uh, get novels because they as was previously said they never really announced oh this is the end of the line they just stopped producing novels for a line for some for a while and then they come back to it. They've done it for Dragonlance. They've done it for Forgotten Realms. Well, not quite for Forgotten Realms. This is probably the first time. But they've done it for Ravenloft. They've done it for Dark Sun. Don't think they've done it for Planescape or Spelljammer. But those were the time. But yeah. You're right. And maybe they are leaving it open to see, you know, we're, we're going to see how some other things do. And then maybe we'll announce that this is the end or we'll say, you know, at the in 2018, R.A. Salvatore is going to come back and we're only doing Drizzt novels or something like that, you know. Um, so it will be it will be really, really interesting to see uh, if they comment on like, hey, the novels have gone away or not at all since like you said and, and like, uh, you know, David pointed out, they really haven't said anything in the past. Uh, David, what about you? What implications do you think this has uh, for sort of the, the Forgotten Realms and the world at large, if this is true? I have so many thoughts on this. Uh, the first one, the big one, is I think it means that we're not going to leave the realms in terms of adventures for a long, uh, not for a while. We're always right. going to keep going back to the realms because reportedly, and this is what I've heard on message boards and Candlekeep and such, is that Wizards of the Coast only somewhat bought the realms from Ed Greenwood and he, like, they bought the rights to publish um, material for it. But he still technically owns it, I've heard, and that if he needs to at least write a novel or be involved in a source book every year or the rights revert back to him. Take it with a grain of salt, maybe that might not be true, but it does, if that is true, that means that they need to keep Ed Greenwood involved in continually writing new source books for the realms or they lose the rights to the realms altogether. Wow. <laughs> Who wow. knows? <laughs> uh, I don't yeah. know. I, it's, it's what I've heard. It's, I could be full of um, BS. It's, as in terms for other aspects of the realms, uh, it's, it's, I imagine they'll be waiting to see what the movies are doing. Because if they do do the movies, they want to do novels based on those characters. And they have so much of a back catalog of the realms. They don't need to make new novels. They can just keep republishing Curse of the Azure Bonds or... Uh, uh, the, the dark was it dark shore novels or the classic legend addressed ones they can keep the Aaron M. Oh, Evans sure. books in print and they just keep churning them like the, the classic new covers and such and those will sit on stay on the bookshelves and new readers can find those and get into the books that way and they don't need to keep uh keep new ones in print which might almost be a good thing because there's some sort of like as an appeal 
to having a series that's complete, to knowing that Legend of Drift has an end that you can start now and read all the way to the end, and it's not this looming thing that you have to keep coming and getting books for. Because mm-hmm. when you do catch up, and there's like you've been reading like a book a month, and then you hit that wall where you have to wait a year before a new book, it's it, before you find out what happens next. It's kind of neat. There's a little bit of anticipation, but it's also kind of frustrating that there's suddenly a wait that wasn't there before. And being able to have this complete all-in-one package with the beginning, middle, end is has some appeal. It's yeah. why, why the Game of Thrones novels are kind of problematic. Or Dresden <laughs> Files, and that you you want to know what's happening and damage and butcher release peace talks. <laughs> you know, I think that's a that's really interesting and. Uh, you and Jeff have sort of given your opinion about uh, Drizden mm-hmm. and what it would, you know, that that he would go away. I, I, when I think of, like, who is a popular character in Dungeons & Dragons, right, I, I think I and probably a lot of other people immediately think of this dark elf. Um, my question is, like, if this is the end of Drizzt, um is this a thing that, is that a good thing? Is Is the end of Drizzt a good thing? Because I did think, like, you know, this was going to live beyond R.A. Salvatore and, and that they were just going to keep making stories about this Dark Elf, especially like, Jeff, you pointed out the companions came back. I was mm-hmm. like, this is like DC or Marvel, man. Nobody stays dead and they're just going to keep bringing back characters and, and that sort of thing. Uh, so, Eric, let's start with you on this one. Um, what do you think? Uh, the end of Drizzt, do you think this it would be a good thing if it is true? I have very limited experience with Dritz Rodin. My only book that I've read was the Sundering book, The Companions, which was interesting at times, but it was very heavy loaded and background. So my knowledge of of Dritz is not that strong. Personally, I think that it's a good thing to a character that has done so much for so long that gets retired because after a certain point, you can get to a character where if you add entity more, it just starts being being totally un, utterly unbelievable in an unbelievable world. That you can't really believe that someone, one character in the world that has magic and all that, could still do all of these things that he, they, they did. Yeah, that's true. You know, he he most recently took on a uh, spoilers for the latest Driz novel, <laughs> um, but he he most recently took on Demogorgon. Uh, so I think there's some uh, some truth to that, you know. And I think there's also some there's something very D and D about retiring him in the sense that most campaigns, when you hit that twentieth level, you then retire mm. those characters. Or you know, for some people, it's twelfth level or eighth level or whenever people <laughs> decide to stop playing, right? It would be nice if they had Dritz still be there, but basically be a character that makes cameo appearances. He rules a certain kingdom or something like that, or he's just there from time to time and just in the distance as a sage or as some somebody to help out not be a major character anymore, not be the, the main protagonist of a story. Yeah, I think that's a that's kind of an interesting idea. Uh, and I, you know, I have followed Drizzt uh, from the beginning. Uh, I have read about him, and while uh, I think certainly, um, you know, some of the stories are stronger than others, and 
you know, it's it's certainly not uh, not Shakespeare. I've had a great time reading about him. Uh, I will definitely be sad to see him go, but I also uh, have tons and tons of material to draw from. I, I can go back and read about almost any adventure and, and Drizzt going on it if I want to, right? Um, mm-hmm. Dave Gibson, what do you think about the end of Drizzt, if it is true? Well, you liken it to DC and Marvel. I think that's a, a pretty good mm-hmm. example because I... I was a big comic fan, book fan for a long, long time, and I have, still have. A, I'm just talking in a room with boxes upon boxes of long boxes of comics, and I stopped. I stopped the hobby because, well, not to get on a big tangent, but because Marvel uh, annulled Spider-Man's marriage, and it felt like all the stories that I was had the exact read, point where I stopped too. <laughs> yeah, the what, what, yeah, brand new day, and it's like, yeah, I, they just canceled out every Spider-Man story I've ever read. I'm done. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to jump in and recommend yeah. uh, Superior Spider-Man and everything that came after, but continue. Yeah. Yes, yes I, I've heard good things about that. But uh, it's, it's, there gets to be a point where you're telling these big, long stories where you have to hit the reboot button. You have to hit the reboot button so hard to, that you have to cancel out a lot of stuff to get the character back to the status quo that people are familiar with. And it's, um, it's easier with a novel to some extent in that you can do the like or the ongoing realms and that the, the timeline progresses and it's detached from the real world. Uh, but there comes to be a point where you do want to get just back to his roots because he's drifted so far away. And having that end means you don't need to do that. You can just have him a happy ending. You can have him retire and go to a farm somewhere and raise rabbits. And it's good. You, there's a sense of closure, and you don't need to just you no know, reboot button. You have to go back to being a loner and struggling to outcast. Wow. Uh, okay, <laughs> that is uh, uh, a, a really good take on uh, on this. So um, you know, I was going into this kind of feeling sad about Drizzt uh, going away, but I, I think you guys are convincing me. Uh, and dare I ask, Jeff? Wynn, <laughs> dare I ask what you think about? The end of Drizzt, should it be true? I uh, can't come soon enough. <laughs> um, I, I, I said before on this, on, this, on this show that popular does not uh, equal good. Uh, I, I, know, I know Drizzt has uh, very uh, ardent supporters among a, a small group of people. But uh, I, I dare you to find someone outside of Dungeons and Dragons fandom who, who has any inkling who Drist is, let, let alone any of his supporting characters. Uh, I mean, the, the man on the street knows who Spider-Man is. And, and that has a lot to do with, with, with just the marketing and u- ubiquity of comic books. But um, the, the average person knows who, who Spider-Man is, who Harry Potter is, who Katniss Everdeen is, perhaps. You know, more, more people probably know who, who Katniss is than Drist. And he's just never been a very compelling character for me. He fights things a lot and, and, and broods a lot. He's just, he's just not very, very interesting. And I think, I think it's, it's interesting that, that we keep comparing these novels to um, comic books. And I think it's, it's, it's interesting because um, there really isn't a model for, for managing an intellectual property like a campaign world. Um, you know, the, the idea of a campaign setting is only how, how old is D and D it's, it's, it's only a couple decades old, 40, 40, 50 years, years old at this, at this point, you know, I, I think, I think for, for a while wizards and TSR before them were, 
were managing the Forgotten Realms sort of like comic books, but but novels aren't comic books. They don't come out as as often. They're they're not they're not visual, so you, you don't get that repeated image in your head uh, of, of what the character looks like. I think it's it's harder to do things like like reboots or just or just forget things in in novels. They take they take longer to read. There's 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 more there's more time time investment. All all sorts of things. Not to mention that it's been talked about when 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 authors come on this on this show that that the Forgotten Realms isn't really as much of a shared universe among among the novel writers as as we would we would like to think. Uh, every every author sort of has their own little, or at, at least at least used to have have their own little little area that they that they dwell in and, and they don't sort of play well with with others. I mean, Aaron Aaron Evans was was you know, praised by, by Jeff Greiner for actually like incorporating things that, that other people wrote about and, and other authors didn't, didn't do that so much. Um, so, uh, to sum it all up, um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad, uh, Drist is, go- is going away and, um, I, I hope this means a, a better direction. If all this, uh, if all these rumors and stuff are true, um, and we're going to ask Aaron M. Evans about it in an interview, this panel discussion is recorded first, but I'm sure she's said probably as much as she's able to say on the matter on her blog. Um, but uh, but if she is able to say anything, obviously we'll we'll have an update to this. But you guys have made me feel a little bit better about what's to come. Um, so uh, I, and that I shouldn't see this as a closing, but like as an opportunity for new things uh, to, I- to come. Away. I'm, I'm glad that my negativity has made you feel, <laughs> feel better, James. <laughs> it has. Well, it's it's uh, it's more of a constructive opinion. Uh, so I, I, you know, I appreciate uh, all of you. I think you're all some of the smartest individuals I know. Um, so it's it's really, really, really great to have all of you here talking about books. Uh, I'd love to have you all back. Um, so, and, uh, you know, Jeff, I would love to, I'm just going to put my vote in, uh, Jeff Greiner, if you're listening, uh, please have this man on to talk about the Cubicle 7 uh, Lord of the Rings uh, <laughs> stuff that has just uh, launched for D&D um, because I want to know more about it. Um, and uh, And I like what I have seen and I believe that uh, that you also like what you have seen, correct, Jeff? Uh, yeah, I'm a I'm a fan, and uh, I'm I, I'm gonna try my hardest to get a campaign going amongst uh, amongst uh, Tome Show hosts and contributors, uh, possibly this winter, maybe, and it, it it might possibly you might possibly be able to listen to it on this very network, or that might all not happen. Uh, yes very cryptic very cryptic so that'll be our next podcast is this happening or not Uh, we'll continue the speculation Uh, but for now um, before we get to our interview with Aaron M. Evans uh, David Gibson where can people find you on the internet my blog and webcomic 5 Minute Workday 5MWD.com where you can read my thoughts on the Cubicle 7 uh, Middle Earth Player's Guide right now I'm also on Twitter at at DNDJester be sure to follow David and check out his blog and webcomic. It's always a great time. Uh, and where can people find you, Jeff Wynn? 
Uh, you can listen to me and my co-host Jeff Wickstrom on the Appendix N podcast. Uh, we just recorded an episode where we talked about Lest Darkness Fall, the seminal alternate history novel by L. Sprague de Camp. So I'm going to get that edited as soon as possible and get that on the Tome Show's feed so that you can listen to it. Excellent. And where can people find you, Eric Paquette? Well, you can listen to the Tome Show Book Club, where I am a regular host. We're currently reading the next book of the Paul Crilly for the, the detectives. Oh, so nice. should be rec- we should be recording that at the end of October. Also, you can find me on Twitter. I'm er- at Eric M. Pack, P-A-Q. And also, I sometimes update my blog, uh, which is ericmpack.wordpress.com. Excellent. And uh, hopefully, Eric, uh, we will have you back uh, on the roundtable a little more often, uh, just as we have had David and Jeff back. Uh, so I'd love to have you again, my friend. Uh, and as I'd love to have all of you. You guys were a lovely panel. Thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today. And now let's roll my interview with Aaron M. Evans. Okay, everybody. Now I am here with the one and only Aaron M. Evans. Aaron, welcome back to the roundtable. It is so good to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Nice. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. I know we just had this conversation before we were recording. This so is true. <laughs> uh, I just like to give the listeners the appearance that I'm polite to the guests, you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, so we're here to talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, we're, we're actually going to talk about uh, the release of The Devil You Know, which, uh, which is coming out. It is the final book uh, in the Brimstone Angels series. Uh, I mean, this is sort of, uh, this is sort of shocking. Uh, We just, this interview is actually going to be paired with a panel where we're talking about all the Forgotten Realms novels. And it was unanimously decided by the panel that you are everybody's favorite Forgotten Realms author. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, and we're, we're sort of, we're sort of sad to see the end of this series. Clearly not the end of, uh, Aaron M. Evans, uh, at all. God, I hope not. (laughs) No, no. I've done this for so long. And I've been, you know, relatively successful at it. Now, if I shift and I'm going to, I want to do my own stuff, like, this is a different world. Um, So it's nice to hear, you know, reminders that people do actually like my books when you're in the middle of, do I even remember how to do this? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess, right, uh, what is it that people say? They love having written, not actually writing, that kind of thing. So, um, (laughs) Uh, so let's talk a little bit about this. How are you feeling about the end of the Brimstone Angels saga? Oh, it's mixed. I, I definitely had more planned, but this is, it's sort of the nature of the beast. Um, I, I've worked on both sides of the novels and I know that sometimes the end comes very swiftly. Um, and frequently it has nothing to do with your books. It's just, you know, a scheduling thing or a business decision that happens way up top. Um, so I've been prepared to end it for a while. <laughs> like I've been like, okay, if book three is the last book, how does it end? And you know, if, if um, book six is the end, how's it going to end? And if I need to keep going, what do I do? And um, how do you keep making it feel satisfying and not like everything is dangling off in the wind and still be prepared to close that story off in a satisfying way? So I'm glad I got to end it. I know that there have been other times where, you know, where authors weren't able to 
close off their series the way they wanted to. Um, but I'm definitely, it's hard. I mean, it, this has been my life for, you know, six or seven years. Like, this is what I think about when I'm bored. And, you know, when I wake up in the middle of the night and, and, um, and now it's, it's all just kind of fluff. It's, it's not, I can't do anything with it. Um, except, you know, find a, re- write a series that's thinly veiled. No, I'm not going to do that. It's just like a, just a knockoff. <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, the characters could have very similar names, right? Or Farida backwards. <laughs> uh, so let's let's talk a little bit about this because you wrote on your blog about this being the end of the Brimstone Angel saga. Um, and it certainly came as a shock, I think, to a lot of people like, oh, this is this is it. This is the end. It seemed like maybe it had come as a shock to you. You said that um, that you almost thought the book before The Devil You Know was going to have to be your last book. And that book ends on an enormous cliffhanger that I won't spoil in case it people uh, haven't read it. But like, uh, oh, I, I take it you were also caught off guard by this? Um, you know, I knew it was going to end. Um while I was while I was working on Ashes of the Tyrant, um, the there was a sort of a scheduling snafu, and so briefly they said, "Okay, we can't put, we we want the books to come out like this, and we can't put out your book when we want, so we'll we'll have to cancel it." Um, and but we went through some uh, some negotiating, we'll say, and uh, I pointed out, you know, this. I, I tend to write long, and I tend to need a little extra time because the books are bigger than you know other forgotten realms novels tend to be um and but the time i was pregnant and i was like listen i know what my track record is and i know you're worried but i am going to be done with my first draft come you know december 15th whether it you know whether i'm happy with it or not it's going to be done because i'm not going to be having this hanging behind me (laughs) And so I, I maybe for the first time ever, I hit all my deadlines exactly, and on <laughs> <laughs> the book came out. And then there was the, also the fact of my second son um, was diagnosed with uh, he had epileptic seizures, and so I was in the children's hospital for a week finishing my final draft. And there was a point there where I was like, I might have to say I can't do this because you know I was it was really scary and really hard, and and I was falling rapidly behind, but. You know, I I knew it needed to be done. I <laughs> I thought of all the disappointed people who would you know wonder what happened sure. if I didn't. Yeah, well, and and talk about tough, right? Um, I yeah. mean, you you that that sounds like nothing I have ever faced in in my life. Um, and you also wrote about the experience of uh, you know your son having epilepsy on your blog. Uh, it sounded like it was a very very scary time for a while, and it sounds like maybe now things have gotten better. Uh, how is everything with you, like personally? Is everything going well? Is uh, our our are your kids doing well? Is everything good? <laughs> um, yeah, nobody has to worry. Uh, it, it's, you know, the thing with, with babies having seizures is when they can't find a reason, that's the best reason. Um, so I, I don't remember the exact terms for the diagnosis, but basically they said this was time dependent. Um, he, you know, they treated him. I had to give him a lot of drugs for a while um, to keep him, keep his brain calm. Um, and, uh, but then he sort of grew out of it. It seems like um, there's always a chance it'll come back. 
<clears throat> and it's, you know, it's higher than other kids, but, but he's doing well. Um, he still, he woke me, still wakes me up in the middle of the night. So I'm a little bit, a little bit short of energy. Um, and, uh, the older one is, is loves his brother like crazy, but also, you know, has that elder sibling demand for attention. Um, <laughs> yeah. it, they, they slow me down a little. It's weird. Cause I, um, so I started working on a new project and I get so frustrated at how slow I'm going. Um, and I have to remind myself that one, I, my sense of time really sucks because it really hasn't been that long since I finished the devil, you know, and this sense of like, well, I should have a first draft by now is just cockamamie. <laughs> um, and the other thing is to think like, I have to keep reminding myself, you know, other people put books out, don't put books out one a year, especially books this thick. And, mm-hmm. and if I have to kind of do, you know, I have, it's been a while since I've had to like plot out a whole series, like new characters. And I've had the luxury of, of leaning on the bones of a, of a setting, you know, even in places like in Ashes of the Tyrant, I did a lot of world building um, to help flesh out the Dragonborn because, because I love them and nobody stopped me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, you know, and that takes a lot of time, but, but even then, you know, I didn't have to think about, you know, what, what does the magic work like and, and where, what are their neighbors and, and what's the geography? Cause all that stuff's all been decided and, and those decisions take a long time. So, um, they slow me down, but it's not actually that slow in the scheme of things, I guess is what I'm getting at. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I, if George R. R. Martin is allowed to take as long as he does, right? <laughs> I feel like you're allowed to take as long oh, as well. <laughs> I feel like I have to earn a little more clout before I can fall on that one. But, yeah. And then the other part of it, just my, um, I was noticing the other day, my blog is just very, it's very quiet. Um, and part of that is new baby and part of that is sick baby. And then part of that is, I don't know what, to, I don't quite know how to talk about um, things anymore because, you know, new book stuff, it doesn't mean anything to anybody. I've, I've come up with a couple of things. It's like, okay, well, this is something I've been, I kind of a rabbit hole I fell down researching um, that's interesting and I can, you know, talk about that. And, um, but then talking about the devil, you know, is hard because it's, it, it's really hard to not have spoilers. Um, even with things I, you know, I had an idea and I might do this later to say, you know, here were the endings that I didn't do the ones that I was sort of prepared for, but in telling you, I didn't do them. Um, (laughs) I'm telling you it's not there. That's not the ending. So now, you know, and you can guess. Um, (laughs) sure. Yeah. It's one of those things that, uh, that again, I think this, this came as a shock to so many people that, that this was happening. Uh, and it's, it's weird because we're seeing uh, some other things, you know, um, it looks like uh, Bob Salvatore has uh, has maybe written his last Drizzt novel. Uh, there's some stuff that suggests that, although he hasn't actually come out and said that yet, um, which uh, would mean that it's the end of the Forgotten Realms novel line because there's, there's nothing else coming up as far as we can see. Uh, I don't know if you can actually comment about that or not. Uh, there well, hasn't been any official confirmation from, from Wizards or anything, um, but did do you know if this is the end of the Forgotten Realms novel line? This is one of those things that toes really close to um, violating a non-disclosure agreement. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm really not sure where the line is, but I think that, um, you know, people can kind of pick up the clues and, and make their own conclusions. 
I can say for sure, you know, I'm not writing another Brimstone Angels book. Um, at least, you know, not a lot in my foreseeable future. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, you know, Ed's got some really cool stuff going on. I, I've, I've talked to Bob and he's really excited about his new Demon Wars novel that he's working on. I think, it, I think it's called The Coven. I don't know if that's the working title or the finished title. Um, Bob's probably got a finished book by now. <laughs> <laughs> so much faster than me um and you know then i think the the really wonderful thing about um pretty much i think most of the authors that work in forgotten realms that you know they're there's opportunities to keep reading their stories and and a lot of the things that people love about their forgotten realms stories um are true elsewhere too you know Bob's a phenomenal storyteller. He's got a really gripping way of, of introducing you to the action and stuff. Ed's got these beautiful detailed worlds. Um, Troy's just fun. And, and Richard's got the kind of dark undercurrent and I, you know, I could list everybody, but uh, so I, I think that the least, you know, readers know that out there, there are more books to kind of scratch that itch. Yeah, totally. And, you know, uh, often you can read about them in some of your other favorite universes, right? Like, it seems like everybody's got a Star Wars book or a, a, a book like that that you can go <laughs> yeah. find and read. Well, got some um, <laughs> good Star Wars stuff. Yeah, yeah. I've so. got to about Darth Vader. <laughs> yeah you got to get on that uh that star wars book train so i don't um, i don't know i i don't know if they'd want me <laughs> uh, i don't well, i don't know that there's a lot of really fat star wars books but. <laughs> let's talk a little bit about you um you know you, you said that you're working on a new book and you can't really say anything at the moment um other than you know it's new book stuff it's yeah, it's it's weird because it's like if I tell you about it and it's not done, does that mean anything? <laughs> like, it's kind of like it gets into that. Let me tell you about my character area. Mm-hmm. It feels like we're yeah. Um, it's I can tell you it's a. I think it's a, a an epic fantasy family saga. I don't know. I don't know what else I can say about it. <laughs> You know, I think one thing we've certainly learned from Brimstone Angels is you have a knack for writing some really awesome characters um, and uh, and hearing something like an epic fantasy family saga makes me think like, oh, man, this this is sounds like a great gimmick for maybe an adventuring <laughs> party or, or, or that sort of thing. Um, I shouldn't even say gimmick. You know, it sounds like a great sort of framing device to yeah. use to, to present that. And it's also, um, obviously, you have your own little adventuring party in real life now, right? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, yeah. so are you drawing, you know, are you drawing from the real world? Because I'd say, like, for a lot of the Brimstone Angels stuff, a lot of that feels like stuff that I, as a person, have gone through, you know, and it's happening. It, it Sure, it's emotions that are being felt by a tiefling or a dragonborn or whatever, but everything is very human, you know? Um, yeah. Are you, do you find that you draw a lot from that, either for this new book or from your old books, like real life experiences? Oh, yeah, that's, I think that is fair to say that's been my goal all along. Um, I read something once, and I wish I could remember where exactly I read it, uh, where this, this woman was talking about working with uh, refugees in Southeast Asia. 
and Australia, I think. And, um, she, she was like, uh, like counselor and she was thinking, man, I don't know how I'm going to help these people because I, you know, I've never been through this. I don't know what this is like. And when she actually sat down to do it, she had conversations like, Oh, I met this guy in this refugee camp and I really thought he liked me, but then we got on different boats and now he's hooked up with my cousin and I don't do, but he says he still likes me. It's like people, <laughs> people have people problems and it doesn't matter if you're, you know, going through a war or, you know, a, one of the, I, my, my grandfather-in-law was, um, when he was a teenager, he lived in the Philippines and he was, his family was taken prisoner by the Japanese army and he, he was in a prisoner of war camp for a couple of years when he was a teenager and he wrote this letter to his grandsons like kind of like this is you know these are the things I remember and he it, it was edited because he didn't you know the the horrible stuff he didn't want to tell kids about I I, I know that but sure. but a lot of the stuff he he did remember was kind of I mean there there was the stuff that was you know how did he he's how he kind of stole scraps of food and this is how he stopped being a picky eater and um, but then there's stuff like, you know, he and his friends figuring out how to like black out the w- windows in a room so that they could meet girls and play music. But he was really nervous and like he only danced <laughs> with one girl because he just didn't know what to do. And I mean, that kind of stuff, it doesn't stop. And so I think that makes that's the way to kind of make that fantasy feel more possible and more real, like. You know, you want the weird stuff. You want the magic and the and the the drama and the the big, you know, explosions and gods walking around. That's fun, but it it feels I feel like more immersive when you are also talking about you know family of origin problems. Like, how do I cope with the fact that my kids are making decisions I wouldn't make, or that I'm really scared for them, but I have to you know figure out a way to let go of that. Or, mm-hmm. you know, I, I like this guy, but, you know, we're, we come from different worlds or, you know, I have this boyfriend and he's not very nice to me. What do <laughs> I do? There's, you know, there's, or, you know, and, and I, it's funny, I think people tend to focus it on the, on the, the romances and the, I don't think of it so much as a love triangle, but, you know, the love triangle. Um, and I'm like, well, there's all this other stuff too. You know, you've got like Demuzi, like having to think about, He's like, you know, joining another religion and his family is not into it. <laughs> you know, he's got this father who's kind of, a, you know, kind of abusive and at least a jerk. You've got, you know, lots of interesting family dynamics. And I think that builds into something really rich, ideally. Um, and that I definitely uh, intend to keep doing that. The, um, the story I'm working on is generational, but it starts with... Um, with three siblings who are um, part of a kind of a country that's been occupied by, I don't, it's so complicated to, I'm not, I've not got my elevator pitch down. That's totally fine. (laughs) (laughs) This is one of the things that we were talking about earlier in the panel that somebody said was like the fact that you now uh, you know that you now can do things like you were saying it is it's difficult right to create your own magic system to create the world and the geography and all that kind of stuff um you know somebody brought this up and i thought it was a great point was like 
we love what you've done in the Forgotten Realms, and we're very excited not to put the pressure on. You should take all the time <laughs> that you want, and you should, you know, you should, you should be okay with it. But we, uh, we're very excited to see sort of what you do now that those parameters have been removed. You know, it's yep. uh, we loved what you did with characters in the Forgotten Realms so much. How much will you do now that you are truly unchained? Um, you know, and. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> it's funny because I know I know other authors who've said they feel like they were really kind of constrained they were haltered by the by the um, by the parameters but I I always really enjoyed it um, mm-hmm. because what I would what I always did was I would find something in the source book and and this is sort of I, I it's I worry that it sounds like I'm being really critical of, of the source books but but it it is the case that what is written for a game and what is written for a novel are two totally different things. Absolutely. Um, it, it drives me crazy when people try to parallelize them. Like, like I had somebody once say to me like, Oh, well I've run like eight adventures. So that's base. I've come up with and run eight adventures. So that's basically at least two novels. I'm like, no, they're, they're totally different. Like I've, I've written six novels and I would say I have written zero adventures and I would not pretend I know how to do both because there are things about a novel that, you know, there, there are storytelling aspects that poured over, but then, you know, there's, there's other things that just, they don't translate at all. The one time I, I tried to DM, I had a group that wasn't really, I was my family and they weren't really super into it, but um, I had a really hard time not being in control of the structure of the story. And I kept, they kept trying to like go off the path and I'm like, stop, I have things. And I, think <laughs> I, was, I was doing it. I'm like, Oh, I'm trying to run this like a book and it's not a book. It's not my story. Like I'm just a facilitator, oh, but at any rate, um, <laughs> what I would always do is I kind of like go through the source books and I'd find something that caught my attention. Um, and in frequently it was something that to me implied, um, up like a, there was like, there was something that wasn't making sense there, or there was like a hole that, that if it were bridged would make these two pieces come together, or it would be something that to me sounded kind of silly. So how do you make it not silly? Um, and there's, I mean, and there's room for this and different writers will do goofy things. And some people really like that. But so part of it was, you know, something would kind of be put in there and it, and it didn't feel like someone had considered the whole tapestry necessarily. So it's like, okay, how do I stitch this in? And I love doing that. I love that puzzle feeling, that pattern finding, that, that problem solving part. And you can't do that when it's your own stuff. Cause you can't like, you know, you don't look at your own ideas and go, well, what's wrong with it? <laughs> you come up with all of it, then you know you you presumably you think it all makes perfect sense. So I'm I'm having to adapt a little uh, my my strategy, which I guess is also kind of makes it take a little bit longer. I'm really hoping I have like a full. I write a really big outline before I start writing, <laughs> so I'm hoping I have a full outline by the time the book releases, which by the time Double You Know releases. But oh wow. Wow. Well, and that's soon, right? The, the, when the devil you know is coming out like super soon. I, it, it's and it's. I mean, it's the case. I feel like with when I write an outline, I feel like I hit things will go really smoothly, and then I'll kind of hit a snarl, and I'm like, why isn't this making sense? And then I'll realize, oh wait, 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 wait. You know, back in chapter three, this was supposed to this happened, but but it would be better if that happened. When you write an epic fantasy, there's so many people to keep track of. You know, <laughs> this is. It's funny too because I. I I keep thinking, oh my god, I have so many point of view characters. But you know, the Brimstone Angels books have so many point of view characters. 
character. Yes. <laughs> and when I was writing them, it never felt like it was too many. Um, I think part of it was one of my editors, uh, Nina Hess, who was the Brimstone Angels and Lesser Evils and Adversary, and then the first draft of Fire in the Blood. She was my editor. Um, she, in, in Brimstone Angels, she pointed out, you know, you have a lot of point of view characters, and I think you need to cut some of them. And the rule that I, that you should have is if you have a point of view, that character needs an arc. They need to have, you know, like a goal and, and, and conflict and, and they need to reach some sort of conclusion. And I thought that was, at first I was like, why are you picking on me? Because, you know, I'm an author, but uh, I realized that really made a lot of sense to me. And, and that's the, that's what I've done with every book since, you know, with a, with a couple of exceptions, you know, lesser evils, there's a couple of, there's a bit where you get kind of a distant point of view of the the book and I'm not giving the book an arc because that would be really confusing. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, so I, you know, they, they all have that, but you know, there's occasionally there's like eight point of view characters and don't, you're not supposed to do that. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Five. I should have made it four, but then I have to keep reminding myself like you've done worse. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, uh, you know, that's, that's great, though. And I think it's great for people to hear the the work that goes into writing, Um, especially if you've written eight adventures, let me let me just throw this out there. Anybody, if you've written eight adventures for your home group, you have not written two novels. You have not written a novella or a short story even. Uh, so uh, they're, they're totally, totally different. Um, and uh, and one, you also, you know, when you're, when you're in a game, and you know this because you play in games, right? You yeah. have collaborators who you're kind of telling the story with. Um, and like you said, when you're, when you are writing a novel, you're the you're the dictator right you decide everything really that that happens within the story which is very very cool um you so the last time you were on uh you on this running a game thread you had said uh you were gonna run a game at game hole con uh, i was ah uh, and did you not did you end up not running <laughs> yeah, a game i got pregnant i got oh. pregnant and it turned out that that was going to be like a couple weeks before my due date so i would not be allowed to fly Oh, or gotcha. even if I was allowed, I know some airplane airlines are like, you know what? We don't care. It's your decision. Yeah. But, um, but it would have, I would have been so tired and just miserable. So I had to, I had to cancel. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, that makes sense. Right. And- which I was really disappointed. I, I, I really went back and forth on it. I was like, I could probably, I think I could do it. I, I'm totally one of those people. It's like, I can do it. I can totally manage. <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm having to kind of stop and reality check myself because, <laughs> I was the same way. I didn't go to Gen Con this year and I was, it was, which was a, a good thing. I had to make the final decision um, about the time my, my younger son was in the hospital and I, we didn't know, you know, we didn't know what it was going to be and whether we were going to have massive hospital bills. So I had to say no, but, um, but before that I was like, I didn't take a baby. I did that before. And, and I did, I took my older son to Gen Con cause that was the year the sundering was announced and I really wanted to be there. Mm-hmm. And it was, <laughs> worst gen con i've ever done i was so tired he did not want to sleep in that hotel room he woke there was oh there was one day i came out i'm like i think i slept two hours last night and uh i was completely miserable (laughs) and i I would never do it again and then here i am you know four years later going i didn't do it again it's not so bad (laughs) Well, 
I, you know, I think it's a, it's a testament, obviously, to uh, to what a hard worker you are <laughs> uh, when it when it comes to to all this stuff and and how much you really care about your own work, right? Your novels and uh, and the things that you are putting out there. Um, so it's nice to hear that you're already <laughs> uh, back at it, doing you know, you're you're keeping writing and and everything like that. And it's great to hear that the family is doing well and and you know that it sounds like you know you have some new projects that you're really excited about and uh and one of the things i wanted to let you know is that we as your readers are excited to see what sort of is is going to come next um so just because your novels are leaving the realms doesn't mean we are going to stop reading your novels um yeah yeah so and again take all the time you need Take, take <laughs> I some time. Uh, I did and- think of something that I forgot about that. Um, I have a story in an anthology that's coming out. It was a, it was a Kickstarter, but they're going. It's going to be available, I think, in March. Um, oh, called nice. Half No Fury, and the story I ended up writing for that is sort of the the prequel to this novel I'm working on. So if if you're curious and you're tired of me rambling about it, you should you should get that. It's from Ragnarok Press. I think it's available in March. But if you go to their website, I'm sure they have better. Um, info about that <laughs> and you can get a peek of you know what happens when you try to let me build a magic system in a culture that's really really <laughs> fun oh what a great little little tease for things that are coming and are you still uh, are you still playing D with uh susan j morris so we went on hiatus because i had a baby and we had several people traveling and so we actually haven't played in about a year but um middle of October is our, we, we get to start up again. We got to the end of kind of like a story arc. And, and so now, you know, new stuff starts up. We also had, there's also a little trouble because Susan, Susan is writing a novel, which y'all should be exactly as excited about. Um, and she, it started out kind of based on the, the world that she games, she, she, D&D, she DMs in, sorry. Um, because, you know, she, I think she, I don't even know if maybe it was on here that she came and she was talking about, um, sort of the world and, and people were getting excited and sending her messages and saying, Hey, you know, can I play in this world? And she's like, wow, people actually think this is neat and I can, you know, maybe I can write a book. And, and again, you know, the game is not, a game is not a novel. So when you sit down and you translate it, right, there are things that have to change and have to go. And so she's been working really hard on this book. I can't wait to read it. Susan is the kind of author where you you don't get to see what she's got until she's done. Um, so I have inklings, but I don't know. So she, I think it was also it would have been really hard for her to to run the game in version A and then right. write the book in version B. <laughs> I keep them straight. So I think she was happy to be on hiatus for a little bit so that she could do that. But I think at this point they're they're pretty different. So let me let me throw this out there. Does your D and D character make an appearance in uh, in her novel? I don't know. I tried to get her to do that. Um, <laughs> yeah, that was another thing. I'm like, I want to read this book because maybe it'll it'll have clues. By the end, at uh, but you know, by the point where we pause, we put push pause. Right? Um, she is really tricksy. She has me. She's just she's got such a poker face. And so I'm not sure if my character is a, like a reborn null form Deva or, uh, and, the, and the reincarnation of this kind of horrible villain, the Pale Empress, um, or if I'm some nobody paladin who ended up with a sword accidentally and Susan's messing with me. 
<laughs> yeah, it, could, it could equally be any of those or all of them somehow that will be the twist um which is I, it's so fun but I have to admit I have the hardest time being a, a good player because I I keep it's so interesting and the world's so dense that I keep coming at it like a reader and I'm like and then what and she's like you tell me <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, she's like, this is where you, now you get to decide what happens, right? I don't know. She gave me this sword that I, like, I really, I came into this when I was really busy on a book. And so for people who haven't heard the saga of this D&D game, because I think every time we're on, we talk about it. um, I play a paladin, a half-elf paladin of, like, the god of the empire, basically, law and order and stuff like that. Um, that I basically said, um, this is, oh, what's Constantia from, from Rimstone Angels. Um, but with, oh man, I forget exactly what I said, but a half elf and, and, you know, kind of maybe a lower tolerance for stress. And that was it. Like, I really did not have time to put a lot of thought into this character. So I get there and she's like, okay, and this is, you woke up and you have this weird ass sword. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and every, the sword, if I hold it and I trigger it, it t- turns from like a short sword or a dagger kind of thing into this big glowing blue sword that controls zombies. And that's like, that's the extent of it. So the character has gotten like more interesting and complex as it goes. Cause it turns out like she's super loyal to her friends, even though it turns out none of her friends have a lawful alignment. <laughs> Um, so there's, you know, a little skewing of that, but, but it was, it's kind of fun because it is a little like, like sitting on the line between reader and player. Cause, cause she does kind of say, here's a thing, but now like I I'm torn. I want to use that sword and see, keep using it and see what happens. Cause there's like percentile die involved every time I, I pull it out. Um, but it's, and more, there's more weird stuff. Like found this mother guy with a sword like that and I killed him and then he came back to life and he's like oh yeah you can't die with this thing I don't know (laughs) now we're getting into let me tell you about my character I know but it's so good it's so good ah, it's so good I wish uh, I wish I could just be a fly on the wall on your games I mean I'm not (laughs) saying you guys should do an actual play podcast, but if somebody wanted to just put a microphone in the middle of the table and then release the content unedited, I think people would listen. That's all I'm saying. I think people would listen. That like, I mean, at this point we've been playing for a while, so it's kind of, if it seems unfair to call, you know, the other players, um, you know, rookies or something, but, you know, our rogue and our wizard and our cleric, this is the first game they've ever played in. And it's really, ref- it, it's, at first it was a little frustrating because they all had played like MMOs. And so what, what happened was we'd fight monsters and they'd want to loot everything and they'd want to stop and loot everything. And, and Susan was like, <laughs> I mean, like we kill a skeleton and they're like, I loot the skeleton. It's like, you find bones, dude, where is it going to hide anything? Um, and meanwhile, you know, the, the, the robbers we're chasing are getting away, but you know, Susan's a really, really good DM and she kind of had a sense that that was going to happen. And so she's like, the clock is ticking, right? This doesn't, these, they don't stop running because, you know, your encounter happened. So, you know, we, 
we were like three steps behind these people forever because, you know, we dawdled in the beginning. Sure. Um, <laughs> she means business. And she realized like um, the cleric's actually her husband. And he, he was, he, he chose, he intentionally picked a cleric of like, he's like, can you make a God, like a God of wall street? Can I be like a super greedy cleric? <laughs> um, so he loots everything. And so she's set traps for him. Basically we were in a fight <laughs> once saw a treasure chest and he's like, yes. And we all like saw the treasure chest and went, no, except he failed his role. So he went and tried to loot a mimic in the middle of a fight. <laughs> like, and she's like, that's what happens. Another time he went through someone's stuff who had been like, somebody put this like powder on them that was basically Tasha's hideous laughter. And he decided he was, when they weren't looking, he was going to go through their stuff and, and steal things. And, and she's like, okay. <laughs> and you know guess who had Tasha's hideous laughter for the next three hours <laughs> but it's because they'll come up with things that they'll like just want to try things that you kind of just by virtue of playing you you sort of forget or you forget to, to kind of push the boundary of what's possible sometimes mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's I don't know it's fun that's awesome that's really really cool and it's I love the uh, the marital therapy that's going on there uh, <laughs> uh during that game Stop all of numbers <laughs> well before we go aaron is there anything else you want uh people to know out there fans of the brimstone angel series or uh people who are looking forward to the next novel or people who just want to hear more about your awesome D game is there anything you would like to let them know yeah, uh, so my website is slushlush.com. It's, it is quiet right now. Uh, I'm working on fixing that. Um, um, you can also follow me on Twitter uh, at Erin M. Evans um, or on Facebook, which is Erin M. with a dot Evans. Um, the, uh, I'm, I'm hoping to set up a newsletter if people are interested in that. Um, I'm kind of hoping I might do a kind of a giveaway tied into the I didn't do my usual giveaway this year because it just wasn't feasible but I have some some good stuff I have I I, I I'm kind of clearing out my my uh closet of, of things that I don't really need and all the extra books so I, I think I should have a nice little packet to to give away for for people signing up for a newsletter I hopefully this is also this is all you know predicated on the assumption that I I survived you know the beginning of preschool and all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah. So, you know, keep an eye out there and, 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 um, you know, I have, I have little things coming out in in the near term and hopefully um, I will have, you know, a a really cool novel in the, in the not too distant future for everybody to check out. In the meantime, um, definitely keep your eye out for half no fury from Ragnarok press and my story, the mark of the mountain poppy. Awesome. And, uh, and everybody be sure to pick up the final book in the brimstone angel saga. When it drops, it is called the devil, you know, <laughs> we will all be shedding a tear. Uh, uh, I'm sure, uh, as we, as we read the final chapter, no matter what it may bring. Honestly, I don't want to tell you what, how to, how to read it or, or how to experience it, but I, I'm really looking forward to the possibility of getting tweets as bombs drop, like "Oh my god!" Because there are some uh, there are some big surprises. Like like I said, I had a, a lot of stories. I, I had another kind of arc in mind, like when this one came to a close, and I realized, you know, when they said, "Okay, no more books," I um, was like, "Okay, I either have to let that go completely," and I had seeded some clues, um, or 
I have to jam it in this book. I'm going to jam it in this book. Um, so there's a really big twist that would have been uh, somewhere else. There's a couple of them. There's a couple of big <laughs> And I would like, to, I can't watch you read it. So, you know, if, if you use Twitter and the mood strikes you and you want to tell me when you hit those points, that would just make my heart feel so good. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Please, everybody do that. Uh, that sounds like it would be a lot of fun. So um, let's all tweet at, uh, at Aaron, Aaron M. Evans as we uh, as we read her her book and uh, and we'll see how much she breaks our minds and shatters the world. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much. Uh, it will be really, really exciting for readers to find out that uh, Farida is actually uh, Elminster. That is really, I feel like that's the... <laughs> you see a null-form vo- null deva and the reborn pale empress? <laughs> <laughs> I have to explain all that in the book. That's why it got long. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> well, uh, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today, Aaron. Thank you for having me. It was more pleasure. Of course, of course. And now let's roll my interview for this triple part deluxe roundtable with William Moomaw. He is an amazing game designer and he's going to tell us all about his Kickstarter for his campaign setting, Imperium. Okay, everybody, now I am here with William Moomaw. William, welcome to the roundtable. It is lovely to have you here today. Thank you, James. I've been a fan of the Roundtable for a long time, and it's uh, just exciting to be a part of it today. Oh, you flatter me, sir. You really, really flatter me because it's exciting to have you on. We sort of connected through Facebook, um, Rich Howard, mutual friend. But then when I found out what you're doing and who you are, I realized I've known your work for quite a while, actually. Uh, So why don't you tell the people out there uh, what it is you do in the world of tabletop role-playing games? Sure thing. So I've been playing tabletop role-playing games forever since the early 80s. But in the the last couple of years, uh, the last three years, actually, I've move towards the more uh, developer design kind of uh, position than just playing. I had all these stories I'd been working over the last 15 years, uh, all these ideas of what uh, a game could be at a table. And so I put them together and used the Pathfinder role-playing system first as kind of the rule set to uh, kind of power uh, the campaign world I was building. So over those three years, uh, the Imperium's campaign setting was born, and that's you know kind of where I've come to to this point. Wow! So that's the uh, that's how you came up with the Imperium's campaign setting. So for those who aren't familiar, and we're going to talk about your your Kickstarter because it's super exciting. You're bringing this campaign setting into Fifth Edition Dungeons and Dragons. But first, let's talk about Imperium's. What is it? So the Imperium's campaign setting was born out of uh, basically some time that I had when I was in grad school. I didn't have time to to do any role playing, but I was taking all these classes and looking like at uh, cultural analysis and and how cultures meet and uh, you know how how different people uh, cross cultural boundaries, etc. And so what I did is. Uh, you know, I, I took that as kind of the main information, the main starting point for this campaign world. Uh, from the name, you see Imperiums. And so the idea at first was there's these four different empires, and they all have their own uh, themes to them. 
and my hope and desire was to to play with the the conflicts between the two and um, allow that the folklore that was prevalent in all of these different cultures to kind of flavor the uh, the worlds that the players would be in. So, for instance, we have uh, the Avishan Empire. It's this very militaristic culture. They respect authority a lot. There's the Saravasian Republic that pulled away. They broke away from the, the Avishans, and they focus mainly on liberty. Uh, the Ostman Isles are these raiding kind of cultures uh, from the north. They're very much into seamanship and, and sailing, uh, but they believe in, in sort of the fair treatment. Um, Tira Drail is a very uh, spiritual society that uh, you know lives amongst the forest and, and, and deals with the sanctity of uh, all existence. So it's it's originally just a, a play between let's get these cultures together and see kind of what happens. So as you're <laughs> figuring out sort of uh, what happens and, and you leave that kind of up to the players, right? The players and the dungeon master decide then how to take all of these elements and tell a story. So you sort of set it up for something dramatic, explosive, and interesting to happen, right? That's the way it sort of works. Exactly. I, I viewed this campaign setting kind of as the uh, sandbox mode. So it's I set all the pieces up ready for uh, you know excitement and adventure, uh, make it available to dungeon masters and players, uh, fill it with lore that the dungeon masters and players can decide, you know, is that truth? Is that just a story? And then they can come uh, into it and, and basically make the world their own, change the world uh, to fit their characters. So let's talk a little bit then about the Kickstarter. Your Kickstarter, which we should mention, is already successfully funded. <laughs> uh, so congratulations on that. Uh, Thank is, you. Uh, is live right now. If people are listening to this podcast, they should head over to thetomeshow.com and click on the link in the show notes uh, for, you know, for uh, the Kickstarter or they should head on over to Kickstarter and uh, they should probably search for, what should they search for? Should they search for uh, Imperium? Should they search for uh, Plight of the Tuatha module series? Yes, um, yes. Yeah. Plight of the Tuatha is going to be probably the best way uh, for them to find it. Um, that's just the name of this specific series of modules. Nice, nice. So let's talk about what are people going to get um, sort of crunch-wise out of this, and what are they going to get story-wise out of this? I think new modules as a DM are a thing I am always on the lookout for. Uh, not just because, you know, they're they're great to play straight through, but also because they're great for uh, pillaging encounters and stuff, and, and moving things maybe into your current homebrew game, or starting a new game in this awesome campaign setting. Uh, so what do people get? Sure. So there's actually five books in the series. Uh, four are the modules themselves, and then there is a campaign guide. Now, the campaign guide actually is good for players and dungeon masters alike. And in that, you're going to get a whole bunch of uh, you know some new races, new class options like the law speaker. Uh, there's going to be information on 13 of the gods that are in this realm, and it's full information, you know, uh, all about their backgrounds and holy symbols, rituals, etc. Um, so there's a lot of information for the players in the campaign guide. But if you're talking about the uh, the four modules, you know, this is almost 400 pages of adventure um, for people. 
there's several dozens of new creatures that uh, actually Dan Dillon of the Four Horsemen, he's doing the conversion work for, for this uh, series. Um, he's he's going to be hard at work uh, translating that 400 pages into fifth edition material. So these several dozen new creatures, there's almost 40 new magic items. And everything about these uh, modules are actually connected back to a website. So they have this uh, continually growing uh, set of support material that, uh, you know, if you're running the module or if you're a player, you can uh, refer to at any time. Nice. That's a whole lot of stuff that you get uh, <laughs> to be able to, to pull that kind of stuff out. And I have to say, five books is a, is a pretty <laughs> impressive thing for you to be uh, converting into, uh, into fifth edition. Um, so are you, is, is this sort of work that you're doing alone or are there a lot of other people working on this? I mean, I see some killer art. Uh, I see a lot of killer kind of uh, podcasts and stuff going up. So, so talk to me about who else is working on this. Oh, sure. So over the years on the Pathfinder side, I've been working with, uh, you know, developers and editors like uh, Christina Stiles. Um, I've got uh, artist Dean uh, Spencer, who's been doing a lot of the work, uh, especially some of the cover work. Um, I actually just got uh, Jared Blando, uh, who you might be familiar with and who listeners might be familiar with for doing uh, work with the 5th edition settings. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, he's, uh, he's just now started to take on my world maps. So uh, very excited to work with him. And, you know, I've been working with uh, Sam Hing and Mike Wellam, who've been working on the, the Pathfinder side a little bit. We're going to be converting that material over. Uh, James D'Amato over at One Shot Podcast. Now, he's not not a, necessarily working on any of the material here, but I have to give a big shout out to him. Uh, they did a, uh, a live play, an actual play of Feast Hall of Ash that was just funny, and I loved listening to them <laughs> run through that module. It is a good one, and I recommend uh, people checking that uh, out as well. Yeah, we'll definitely link that up uh, over in the show notes for uh, this episode at thetomeshow.com. Uh, we love the folks at OneShot, so uh, they James has come on the podcast and everything, and um, you know, that's that's great. Super, super funny, and also, what, what a delight to hear them play through your stuff. Uh, that must be such an amazing time, so... Um, yeah, yeah, everybody should go check that out for sure. Uh, and those are some other big names you're talking about who are working on this. Uh, it sounds like uh, Dan Dillon, who is a big-time friend of the show, is also going to be working on your conversions, right? That's correct. Um, I'm supplying him with the uh, the Pathfinder, and since I wanted the, you know, the best that I could find to convert the material into 5th edition, you know, Dan's the man. <laughs> so uh, um, I was very excited to, to get him on the project, and uh, it's, it's been great working with him so far and, and look forward to uh, working with him some more. Yeah, yeah, he really is the man, and uh, and that's awesome that he's in on this project. So uh, the 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 more people I hear who are involved with this, the the better it makes my heart feel too. Because like, yes, this is going to be an awesome product, but you're also supporting awesome people. Uh, <laughs> so that's really really cool. And I'm learning now, you William are also an awesome person. Uh, so this is just a this is just a great podcast. I'm just feeling super super good here uh, talking about this. So. When you think of this campaign setting, what do you think really sets it apart from other campaign settings that are out there? Sure. So, so on one side of it, uh, there are a couple little things that I've, I've added uh, for players and dungeon masters. Um, there is a, a new trait, a uh, new feature that 
I have called the emergence feature. Now, this is a story-driven character power um, that's gained by role-playing choice uh, that players can make when they're uh, when they're running through adventures. It's a way that uh, rewards players for exploring a world. So they are able to, you know, they make a choice in the world. Um, they'll have a mechanical feature that uh, they get rewarded with, and if they role-play that feature. They get to keep it, but the players uh, at the table all can decide, you know, if they've kind of moved away from role-playing that feature um, in a way that they think it should be, it gets uh, taken away. But it's, it's a way to individualize your characters more uh, than, you know, just by your class or your race. It's a way to make the story become integral, a part of your character in, in a, a very intrinsic way. Dude, that's great. I and mean, it sounds like there's so much player agency um you know usually when i when i read a new campaign setting as a dm i get super excited about it but i'm always mm -hmm. looking for a way for like okay how do i get the players invested in either what i've made or what i'm reading because i want them to get the feel of this world and understand this world as well and it sounds like what you've discovered is a great way for players to sort of tap in and learn about the setting because it will reward them if they do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's so cool. What are sort of some of the things that people uh, can get when they pledge to this Kickstarter? Um, so, you know, the, you have quite a few pledge levels here. Uh, are we talking just PDFs? Are we talking uh, getting some, you know, some actual uh, books in your hands, that kind of thing? Uh, sure. So it starts off, you can get, you know, just the campaign guide as a PDF. That's kind of the, the, the low level or one of the modules. But uh, you are able to get the full um, module line or the module line with the campaign guide as PDFs. But we also have them as uh, print books. And in both the PDFs and the print books, uh, you will get access to these kind of saying it's secrets a little bit off, um, kind of hidden pages on the imperiumscs.com website where you get this uh, more, uh, more information, more background material. Um, so by, by uh, pledging at these levels, um, you will always get access to that information and uh, you can get some good PDFs or books in your hands. Now, we do have some ideas for some, uh, some stretch goals that are kind of waiting in the wings here. Oh, and yeah. hopefully Hit me with those. Hit me with those. <laughs> So we're, we're definitely going to uh, have a lot more backgrounds that are going to come into the, the, the setting guide. Uh, and additional uh, monsters uh, from the minds of both uh, Sam Hing and Mike Wilm are going to be in there as well. Um, if we do get up high enough, uh, there is going to be just a kind of player introduction, a short module that allows players to uh, design their characters and get more of a feel of the world before uh, interacting into the module setting as a as a whole. So while these modules run you from uh, you know first, second level all the way up to thirteenth level, this uh, potential introductory prologue uh, will allow characters to, to make design their characters uh, so that they'll be very useful or uh, very active in the setting as the, the, the modules proceed. Nice. That's really awesome. That's a, a great way to go about making characters, too. Something, again, super helpful that I wish a lot of settings had, you know, um, to, to sort of help. Uh, walk players through a little bit about the world during character creation and stuff like that. So um, really, really, really fun stuff. Uh, so you've been you've been involved in the world of game design, right, for a while. 
What are some of your favorite things that you have created for this campaign setting <laughs> um, that people are going to get to sort of interact with and get to to touch? <laughs> Oh, sure, sure. So uh, one of my favorite things, um, and this is something that I also put out to um, another third-party publisher, hopefully it'll, it'll show up in another book here shortly, um, is uh, the relationship between like fae and uh, were-creatures, lycanthropes. Um, a lot of the things about the campaign setting has kind of moved away from the standard model of uh, how creatures are. So, for instance, and I have a, a, a interesting uh, setup between all the the, the Fey of Tyriadrael and and the the werewolves, who are these like natural spiritual uh, creatures. Um, since the Fey are from another world, uh, they're trying to bring a perfected nature into the real world of mortals. And the lycanthropes are protecting. They're kind of like the uh, warriors on the wall, holding back the Fey to to keep the mortal realm protected. Um, that that's one of my fun little uh, things that I really do enjoy about uh, the campaign is that little dynamic there. Oh yeah, that's well, that's just in itself is a whole campaign right there that you can really <laughs> take advantage of and and have a lot of fun with. Um, and it seems like there's stuff like that sort of spread throughout the setting, right? That all these little hooks that you could draw people in, and you could tell a really big grand story, or you could also tell these small little uh you know more intimate stories or you could you know use intimate stories to tell a larger story which i think is really really great it seems like a, a versatile rich world with a lot of options how long have you been working on this world well if you count uh, just the, the the time back in grad school kind of Thinking about worlds and stuff, this this world has been uh, in the in the making for about seventeen years. Uh, most of my campaigns have been in it. I've run several five six year long campaigns uh, in different editions of D and D, uh, and also in Pathfinder, uh, in the in the setting. Um, writing all that time, so <laughs> it's it's been a long time in the in the works here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and time to perfect stuff and play out different story beats and expand your world. It sounds like it's grown very organically, which is great. So let me, uh, as, we're, as we're talking about your Kickstarter here and we're beginning to wrap up, uh, as people can look to pillage this uh, for great things, um, let's talk about your favorite monster that, uh, that people get, have a chance to get as uh, backers of this Kickstarter. Uh, sure thing. So... My favorite, um, just because they are really creepy, uh, come from the uh, second module in the series called uh, Vasily's Woe. Um, they are uh, soul-infused marionettes. So in, in the story, uh, there's, there's something going on. I uh, don't want to give too much away for in case any players are listening. But something's happening, and uh, these little marionettes ended up being... Um, embedded with uh, souls of villagers uh now they still have uh, the, the contemporary dress of all the, the people around them but they're these short little two foot tall uh marionettes with their strings that are 
very alive and snake-like, well, quite well, kind of moving around and uh, grappling uh, everything around them. Uh, they have a tendency to hang up in the in their rafters and, and drop their strings down to uh, make marionettes of any uh, player characters that happen below. <laughs> but um, yeah, they they're one of my my more favorite uh, creatures. They come in both a uh, swarm variety because you got to have the little bitty puppets coming after you, but uh, also the the larger uh, two foot tall ones. Um, but at any rate, any one of these uh, marionettes are definitely going to uh, uh, cause some players to uh, be a little bit nervous. This is the creepiest thing I think I've ever heard. <laughs> uh, yeah, I really want to use these in my picture. game. <laughs> there's a, a very good picture. Um, Christina uh, Ide did a, a, the cover for the uh, Vasily's Woe module, and it has an example. Sorry, no, that was Dean Spencer who did the cover for Vasily's Woe, and he has one of his... Uh, um, one of those Soul Forge marionettes right there at the front looking oh, down. Oh, yes, so. in the uh, volume two, right? Exactly. Oh, wow. That is that is super, super horrifying uh, in a great, great, great way. Uh, so uh, nice choice. Are you scared of marionettes in real life? <laughs> um, well, you know, dolls can be kind of creepy. Uh, they stare at you in a kind of vacant way from the corner of the room. Yes. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. They definitely, definitely can. This is so, so cool. And I'm so excited for you. I'm happy that your your Kickstarter has met its goal. And I'd love to help you meet some of these uh, stretch goals. So uh, you have, at the very least, made one backer through this conversation. Um, so, uh, so I'll definitely well, be backing you. your product. Uh, and uh, and I encourage others to go check it out and do the same, guys. With pledge levels starting at ten bucks, uh, you know this is a a pretty great deal, a steal, I might say, um, for the info that you're going to get. Uh, and uh, and check it out because there's a lot more uh, that you get if you pledge higher. Um, you really really seem to know your stuff, William. Uh, so why are you converting uh, from Pathfinder to Fifth Edition here? Um, is it just because you want more people to be able to play do you like the fifth edition system as well and do you think that this campaign setting benefits from the fifth edition rule set oh it, it really really benefits from the uh, fifth edition rule set i i think uh when i was designing uh, the the campaign world itself you know it was all about about story and how can the uh modules be uh, easy for for uh, DMs to run. You know what can we do to make players more excited and, and uh, run their characters uh, more easily? And you know, I mean, all these things that I wanted to do with my setting is what Fifth Edition did. <laughs> so um, you know, it's one of I. It's, it fits really well with the the ideology of of fifth edition. It's it's the story driven, um, exciting kind of uh, situations that. Um, are both in the fifth edition set and the campaign setting. So I think it's a really good match. Of course, I would love to have more people check out the setting just in general, but the, the fifth move to fifth edition, that, that really was a very natural move. And uh, I was so happy to see the, the open gaming license uh, come out there and uh, be able to get Dan to kind of handle some of the uh, the the, the more uh, technical aspects of the, the conversion for that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it is great to have him, and it's great to finally have that OGL for sure. Uh, and it sounds like what you're saying is basically you had the idea for 5th edition and Wizards of the Coast stole it. 
Uh, so, um, so really, they owe you an OGL at the very oh, least. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, that's the end. No, not at all, not at all. <laughs> uh, you know, it has been a real, real pleasure talking with you, William. Uh, I'm going to remind people right now, go check out the link at the Kickstarter, uh, at thetomeshow.com for the Kickstarter, the Plight of Tuatha module series 5e conversion. Uh, or you could probably search for uh, William Moomaw, uh, and have that come up on Kickstarter. And also, where can people find you and all of the wonderful things you are doing? Sure, sure. So they can just go to Imperiums CS. That's, uh, well, ImperiumCS.com. Uh, it's our uh, website, my website that has all the information talking about what's going on, what are some products we have, what we're looking for. There's some artwork up there. Uh, you could reach out to me there as well. But um, Imperiums dot, imperiumscs.com is where you can find me. That's awesome. Well, and hopefully you can find more of William uh, here on the Tome Show someday. Uh, I'd love to bring you back uh, as a panelist for the roundtable sometime, uh, you know, where we talk about the D&D news. That would be amazing, William. So uh, if you're game, I'd love to have you. That would be great. I would really look forward to that opportunity. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the roundtable today, Sarah. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. And before we go, it's time to do our DMs Guild pick of the episode. My pick this week is from Michael J. Weingar. It is called Character-Focused Random Events for the City. It is a pay-what-you-want product that features 410 random events for players playing D&D 5th Edition in a campaign which features a large city. Players roll a D100 to see what befalls their characters as they spend time in a big city between adventures. Events range from thoughtfully benign to outrageously perilous. This is a really awesome product, and everybody needs to have this, especially if you have that group that goes off the rails. Like I said, it's pay what you want. There's a direct link to character-focused random events for the city in the show notes of this episode at thetomeshow.com. I'd like to thank my panel, Eric Paquette, David Gibson, and the one and only Jeffrey Wynn. I'd also like to thank my guests, Aaron M. Evans and William Moomaw. Thank you so much. All right, people. You can find me on Twitter at James Intercasso. That's at J-A-M-E-S-I-N-T-R-O-C-A-S-O. Also, check out my blog, which is all about Exploration Age, the 5th edition D&D world I'm building over at worldbuilderblog.me. There's tons of free resources for your D&D 5e games over there, as well as tons of supplements that I created for free for Storm King's Thunder. So go check it out. And by tons, I mean two, but they're both pretty long. All right, everybody, thanks for listening. Special thanks to Jeff Greiner for letting us join the Tome Show lineup. Our theme music, which you're listening to right now, was composed by Eric Michaels. Don't forget to go to thetomeshow.com and use the affiliate links whenever you shop on Amazon or the DMs Guild to help support the show. And hey, if you like the show, please rate the Tome Show on iTunes and like us on Facebook. Keep on rolling and keep on listening to The Roundtable.